So uh, Acts chapter 18 is where we're picking up. If you're visiting us, uh, you'll find uh, that we are in the practice of going through the scriptures verse by verse. So where we left off last week is where we're picking up this week. <clears throat> that God has his word that he's revealed to us and that we as a church study it together. We go through it together. So where we're picking up is Acts chapter 18. What we're going to cover here is Paul, we're starting with Paul ministering uh, in Corinth. And uh, we'll, we'll discuss Corinth and uh, he had come from Athens. And uh, we're in verse 1 where it says after these things. What it's talking about is after his, uh, his encounter uh, with the leaders in Athens, trying to describe to them that the unknown God that they were worshiping, because uh, as it's uh, been said by many Bible scholars, is there may have been up to 3,000 uh, idol-worshiping um, altars all the way through Athens. It was just covered with idolatry. So Paul makes it known to them. He's like, hey, I, you know, as I was walking through, I noticed that you're very religious. But I want to talk to you about the, the, the one God that you don't have a name for that says to the unknown God. The one that, that you say you're, you're, you're worshiping, but you don't know who he is. I want to declare him to you. I want to share the truth with you. And he goes and, and he's, he's proclaiming these things to them. And they're listening until they hear about the resurrection from the dead. And then they don't want to hear any more from Paul. Uh, half of them, you know, it's a group of them says, we don't want to hear from you anymore. Uh, they're scoffing. And the others said, we'll hear more from you. And uh, Paul just packs up and leaves. He's already declared what he needed to. And now he's moving on in his ministry. They're just going to have to take and chew on it because the people there were so set. They worshiped knowledge. And that's all that they did. They would sit around all day long and just wait to learn something new. That's what it says about it. And then when Paul came along with the truth that was new to them, they didn't accept it as truth. But Paul didn't have anything else to say to him. He had his the, the, the gospel to declare to them, and, and, and that was it. But we saw that at times Paul would, would, would reason. We, we also studied that last week, that he would stay in the synagogue and reason with the Jews, right? But once he had declared the gospel and he'd seen that uh, they were uh, they were rejecting it, some were rejecting it, and others were like, well, you know, we'll hear it. Without believing hearts, they're responding. He says, I've said what I need to, and he moved on. So when it says after these things, that's where we're starting. Uh, so verse 1 of Acts 18 says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent workers. So uh, he's now coming to Corinth from Greece, as we just discussed, and uh, Corinth being the capital of the Roman province of Achaia, He's, it's positioned between the Aegean Sea and the Ionian Sea, so it's an important military and uh, commercial trading port. Uh, so it, 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 it brought in a lot of people, very prosperous, but it was well known for its immorality. And uh, it, I mean, if you, if you want to compare it uh, to not, not uh, it would be the Vegas of the area. You would go there, it would be known as Sin City. You know, so Paul would show up there. 
uh, and he was in the middle of a city that's known for its immorality. You know, when a city says what happens here stays here, uh, that's a total lie, by the way. <laughs> that is a total lie. Isn't that how sin works? Like, this is completely private, and it's between you and me. We can just do this, and nobody else will know. No, that's not. That's that's the start of it, right? That's the start of the enticing that James talks about, right? Sin entices us, draws us in. And then our enticing, when we're following that, uh, it gives, uh, then, you know, when we're following those sinful desires, it get, brings forth uh, birth to sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death, right? So that whole lie, what happens here stays here, doesn't, doesn't work. But anyways, I uh, get off my soapbox there. But Paul uh, wrote letters to the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, which we'll get to soon. Uh, we'll dive into those. We have to finish Acts, and then we'll get into Romans. And once we've gone through those, we'll get into the letters to the Corinthians. And uh, so we'll discuss more about Corinth. But you know, for now, uh, Paul is is in a uh, famous port city known for partying and immorality, and he partners up with Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, Aquila is described here as a Jew that was born in Pontus that had recently relocated from Italy. And the Roman Emperor Claudius had commanded that all Jews were to leave uh, to leave Rome. And uh, so they needed to find a new home. So they went to Corinth. We don't know what drove them specifically to Corinth, but that's where they wanted to go. We don't given that information. That's where they went and they set up. They set up shop. They're tent makers. And uh, so we, we understand that these uh, people uh, are have been displaced from their home as a result of persecution against Jews. And uh, their their move was uh, you know, sometimes we, we're forced to ro relocate. Right. We have we have different things that will make us uh, pick up and move. Uh, my my wife, when when she was stationed in uh, Italy, uh, we're both uh, military. But my wife, when she was stationed in Italy, we had to move to Italy. And then when she uh, got orders and we went to Washington State, we went to Washington State. When she got out, I just transferred back here and worked. But there were, there was, there were reasons that we would just move, right? And, and probably most of us in here have been through a move in life, right? Uh, and there's a reason why we move. Uh, there's something that came up. This reason was because of persecution of Jews. The, the emperor was saying, I don't want them here. You guys get out of here. So they needed to get out to preserve their lives. So they left and they relocated there and it says that Paul found them. I don't know what draw what drew the two together. Maybe it was tent making. I suspect that he heard about Aquila and Priscilla and wanted to find them and that there was this mutual, hey, there's this guy named Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and, and that the Lord brought them together, obviously. So we stayed and worked with them, and we see that they're they're hospitable and that they're workers, and they shared the same trade of, of tent making. So Paul would provide for himself on his missionary journey. Sometimes you know the churches would support him, and and, and he makes mention of that, and we'll study that as we go through uh, the epistles. Uh, but but Paul didn't want to be relying upon anybody, so he had uh, a a job, and that was tent making. Now pastors uh, that or uh, anybody who may be a, uh, a missionary or uh, just wants to serve the Lord that may have other occupations than being uh, a full-time pastor. Uh, I'm currently in that in that boat. Uh, when I retired uh, from uh, militarily, I, I took a job and I, I work at a college now. 
And uh, that's what I do. That's my full-time 40 hours a week job. Uh, and then I'm here. So that's my tent making job. That's what, what people will say. So, oh, well, this is my tent making job. So if somebody in Christianity says that to you and you're like, what? Don't you just buy a Coleman tent at Walmart and move on? You know, do you work for Coleman or, you know, you got all those questions, right? But that was the means by which he would provide for himself. So uh, that's what, what many people that are, are serving uh, in ministry, they don't have that job that, that they go and they clock in. They've got supervisors and everything they're providing for themselves. Uh, through their, their occupation, uh, it's often known as a tent-making job. So he's a, what we see here is that he found a great brother and sister uh, in the Lord, and they become great partners in ministry uh, to Paul. And Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. He ends up uh, staying there, and uh, so these people are, are wonderful to him. And then he's off to Antioch, and then Ephesus, and we see that Aquila... Uh, and Priscilla will travel with him, and we'll, we'll go through that also. Now, in the travels, they'll actually stay in Ephesus and start a home church there. These, these people are serious about their relationship with the Lord and that people would know who God is, that they want to minister to people, and they're just using their gifts to provide for themselves. But every opportunity they have uh, to, to be uh, a blessing to Christians uh, or, or to you know, provide a place for Christians to stay or to meet together. That's what these people were about. They had the gift of hospitality, uh, and they used it very well. So it's not every day that we're going to find such loyal and devoted friends. You know, I, I, I remember somebody telling me, you know, if you've gone through life and you've had like two or three good friends in your life, you've been blessed. Like good, good, you know, those friends that you can call for anything. Uh, you know, I, I've been so, so blessed in my life, especially within the church. I've got friends all over the world, you know, that, that especially here in this country. I know that, hey, if we go to uh, go to Washington State, we've got friends there uh, that are still plugged in the Lord, still serving the Lord. We've got friends in, in, in California, and they're just all over the world. And we have those those relationships because they're God-built relationships, and, and so what we find out is, is they're more than friends. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we have the opportunity to be together and to, and to um, be sharpened together. So we'll see later in the chapter that, that these two, Aquila and Priscilla, are used for helping uh, equip a very uh, effective preacher named Apollos. And uh, uh, they'll give him the rest of the story because he's working with limited amount of information but he's trying to be faithful and minister as he's called to do. So it's a pretty neat thing that we'll get into here, Lord willing, by the end of the uh, our study, uh, hopefully through the, the whole chapter today. In verse 4, And he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So this is one of those examples. After he had addressed the leadership in Athens, and, and they, weren't, they, they had, had mocked him, and, uh, and then they just said, oh, yeah, we'll hear you some more. Paul said what he wanted to, and he moved on. Here he's there uh, reasoning every Sabbath uh, with those. So uh, Paul, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, was careful to do as the Lord led him. So he's reasoning in the synagogue, and it says that he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Paul, as we've studied and, and we've learned uh, as a church together, is an effective minister of the gospel of Christ. And he knew uh, his mission was, was faithful to his ministry. So, so wherever Paul was, it wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm going to go here and I'm going to sit and I'm 
just going to relax by the ocean and, and uh, watch the waves for a couple weeks. And you know, hopefully somebody comes along, throws me a few bucks and I can, you know, that, that wasn't Paul's approach at all. When he was moving forward, he was moving to, to spread the gospel everywhere. Now, remember where Paul came from, right? He, he was Saul of Tarsus and he was there while Christian Christians were being murdered for their faith. You know, he's standing there holding everybody's coats uh, in Acts chapter 7 when our brother Stephen was martyred. And who's there, you know, holding coats. And then, then we see on uh, the road to Damascus, Paul has this encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life because he had the permission in his hands to go persecute the church and arrest them. And grab whoever was good, go into house, homes, whatever he wanted to do. He had the authority to go do uh, the persecuting and to arrest Christians and bring them back. And then he met Jesus and his life has changed. And there's a new master in his life. And that master is Christ. And he's given him the burden to, to preach the gospel. And, and uh, you know, Paul, uh, Saul uh, became known as Paul. We even studied that where his name He's described as uh, as Paul from that point on. So he's got a new mission in life. It's not persecuting Christians. It's go to proclaim the gospel and and uh, lead people to Christ. So his life is completely changed, and uh, he is uh, just effectively uh, ministering. And he had a very practical approach to ministry, and he would reason with people. We talked about reasoning, that we would be reasonable and, uh, you know, and on each side of a conversation. Right. Uh, and we find that we're going to have much better conversations with people when we are reasonable and they're reasonable. So. Verse five, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So uh, Silas and Timothy finally arrive. Uh, we, we watched, uh, we uh, read where they had stayed behind before, and then uh, they were uh, sent by, Tim, by, uh, by Paul. Uh, sent, you know, Paul asked for them to come, so they finally arrive. And it says that Paul was compelled. The Greek word there uh, can be, uh, translated or or understood to say to press on every side. You know he was compelled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he he had to share this. Not that he wasn't before, but this is a special move uh, within his heart that that God was doing here. Uh, and he he wanted to pl- it, what he did was plainly explain to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So he couldn't help but make his move here. And he uh, you know it implies that maybe before he was setting the stage. As he's reasoning, he's priming them. And then he finally gets to the point where he goes, guys, the whole reason we're having this conversation is you need to understand who Jesus Christ is. And, and uh, when he does, uh, there's a, uh, he's met with opposition and blasphemy. And, you know, so it shows that he shook his garments, and we talked about that. But what, he, what he's doing ultimately is Paul's rejecting their rejection. Uh, they want to reject him. He says, I'm going to reject you. And, and, and so he does, and he didn't want any dust from their synagogue on him. And he says, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. He's basically, I've described everything to you. We reasoned, and then I finally just spelled out the gospel to you. You didn't want to hear it. I'm moving on. 
I'm moving on and I'm rejecting your uh, your rejection is what he does. And he says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Um, you know, Paul was, uh, he was ready to preach the gospel to anybody who was going to listen. And let that be our model. You know, if we have people that are willing to listen to us that may look different than us, you know, we, uh, I, I think sometimes it's funny, we were sitting at a, it's not funny, but it's, it's uh, we were sitting at a traffic light and it was just uh, Jen and I and, and uh, Natalie was in the back of the vehicle with us. And um, there's this guy sitting there uh, with a sign and, and we've seen that guy kind of all around the place and just kind of sitting there and we were having a conversation. It wasn't one of those big moments, right, that, that you know, uh, or anything. But the, where it became sort of a big moment is when somebody drove by and as they're driving by in the opposite, get a job, you know, and he says something back to them and, and, and those things. And, you know, maybe uh, so it, it, what's what's funny um, is there's a bias in our heart uh, that when we look at somebody, there's there's the. The prejudice that happens, right? It, it's uh, whether we like it or not, it, we, it usually happens uh, to us one way or the other. We see somebody that might look different or be in a different circumstance than us and say, well, you know, I don't have anything in common with them. Don't get into that that bubble, right? You know, wherever the, the, the Lord is leading us to, to, to share with somebody, be willing to share. They might look different than us. They might uh, sound different, whatever it is. Just be willing to share. Don't convince ourselves that because this person uh, is different than us that we can't relate to them. Because God's word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And if he leads us to share that with somebody, there's a reason for it. Because he's working in their hearts and they need to hear it. We might be the one, as we've talked about, that's that's coming just to be the first person that sows the seed. We might be the one that's the second person coming along, or third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is, that's watering the seed that's there. Whatever it is, as God leads us, share. And if people reject it, they reject it. It's not our responsibility uh, to to um, be the ones uh, convicting. That's that's the the job of the Holy Spirit. I was having a conversation with uh, with a brother recently about how, letting the Holy Spirit do the work. You know, actually, I've had a couple conversations this week uh, just about the Spirit doing the work. Let Him do the work. We just need to be willing and obedient uh, servants of Him. So uh, He is now departing from there and, and uh, from the uh, synagogue, and He's going next door to Justice's house. I like that. And uh, he's one who worshiped God, and his, uh, his house is right there. Verse 8 says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So this is a big conversion. You know, the Jew that, that uh, ruled the synagogue is now saved in all his household. Now Crispus is actually mentioned in 1 Corinthians when Paul leaves, and then uh, he's on... Uh, he goes, uh, so this is Paul's second missionary journey. He'll go on a third, and then uh, he ends up getting arrested and uh, taken to Rome. And, and uh, Paul, while he was imprisoned, uh, would write letters. And uh, But we see here that when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 1, 14, that he actually baptized Crispus. Now, Paul's ministry wasn't to baptize. Uh, and he made that a point. He said, I wasn't sent to baptize. I did baptize a few people. I do know that. But he's grateful they didn't baptize a bunch of people because people were getting, they were starting to get, uh, there was division that was starting. And and Paul is trying to, to, try to, to address that division that's happening. 
Because some people, some people were saying, well, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos and this and that. He's, he's saying, guys, that's division. Is Christ divided? And he's, he's dealing with those things. He's saying, look, I'm thankful that I didn't because then you in your, uh, uh, your, um, uh, mature immaturity, I, I can think of the, the, the other word, but I couldn't think of immaturity there, but you and your immaturity are going to try to run with that. He goes, I came and I declared the gospel to you. Yes. I baptized Crispus and uh, those of his household, but, uh, but, uh, anybody else in that, I don't even remember, but a Christian tradition states that, uh, that Crispus continued serving the Lord and was martyred. You know, so, uh, when we, uh, so we see uh, Crispus himself being described. And then it says, many of the Corinthians heard, believed, and were baptized. So we're going to look into each of those things and, uh, and see how they pertain to salvation. So uh, where it says that they heard, Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So that's how somebody comes to faith. Uh, according to the scriptures, that they hear the word of God and, and they understand that the word of God is true and then the word of God does its work in them and once they've heard it and they believe it, uh, then it points them uh, in the way of salvation. The next thing it says is that they believed. Uh, Romans 10, you probably see it up here, Romans 10 verses 8 through 13 says, but what does it say? This is Paul writing to the uh, to uh, Christians in Rome, and he's saying, "But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him." will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over, uh, Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So they heard the word of God, they heard the gospel, uh, they believed it, and they became Christians, and then uh, they, they took the step of baptism. Now baptism in and of itself is not required for salvation. It is a... Um, it is a act of, of public declaration of what has happened within our souls. We should be baptized. You know, Jesus, when he sent out, and we're going to look at it uh, right here, uh, in the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We should be baptized as a, as a, a public declaration of what has happened within our faith. If, if baptism was uh, was required for all, uh, it, yes, and it don't, I'm not telling you that if you're a Christian, you should not be baptized. I'm 100% telling you you should be baptized. We should be baptized. It's a public declaration. We just did our, our public baptism right on the beach. We spent that time. What an awesome time to see people get baptized. People saying, you know what, I'm a new creation, right, Riley? You know, there's some others in here uh, that, that said, hey, you know what, I want to make my my and there were people there that weren't from our church that were there like what are these guys doing right and these people boldly walking into the cold water uh, they came out and uh, they're they're just saying you know what I'm publicly making that declaration that I walk with Jesus Christ Jim and Marge you guys were baptized 
I, I walk with Christ. I want that to be known. We should be baptized. That it's, it's, it's something that needs to happen. So these people heard the word of God. They believed it. They, uh, be, they came to faith and they were baptized. So Paul has a very effective ministry as he's following the lead of the Holy Spirit. There are many ministries that people would consider to be very successful in these days because a lot of people are there. <clears throat> That's, uh, I, I just need to, to make the point that uh, just the appearance that something is, uh, is an effective ministry um, uh, doesn't mean that it is or that it's a healthy ministry. Uh, I can tell you right now, you go to a football game, there's no gospel being preached there, and there's, I don't know, 60,000 people there, right? Some college campuses, 100,000 people sitting there. So if we're using that logic of, hey, there's a lot of people here, it must be, you know, blessed by God. Not necessarily, right? Now, do I think football's a sin? No, don't, we're not going down there. But what I'm saying is, is we can't just look at a church, oh, hey, there's 25,000 people there. You know, they must be being, no, they're being led astray by a false teacher. That's stealing all their money. That can't happen. Can a, a godly church exist with 25,000 people? Amen. Yes, I hope so. Right? But just because there's the appearance like, oh, look at this. It's got to be great. You know, what was happening? Paul's just preaching the gospel. He's not focused on church. Oh, they're, they're not sitting there. He's like, all right, now we gotta we got to worry about the church growth. Uh, let's, let's have a meeting about church growth. And we gotta, we got to you know, drum up new ways to appeal to people and those things. That's trash. It's junk. Let God build his church, right? What do we see in Acts, right? Just people are getting saved, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. The Lord added. Let God do the adding, subtracting, whatever. But we it just just knowing, uh, you know, what Paul was preaching. He had a very simple ministry. He would just go preach to a brilliant man. And he would reason amongst some of the wisest people or, or wise according to the world. I mean, when you look at the Greeks, you know, and he's in Athens talking to them and all they do is sit around and talk about stuff all the time. And Paul could go minister to them. He could go and he could he could have a conversation with them. And then he could go into the marketplace, it says, that he would go in the marketplace and he'd just teach. He was ready to share the gospel anywhere. His effective ministry was effective because of the Holy Spirit. And he was obedient to the word, and he was following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul uh, in, a night, in the night by a vision. Uh, my Bible has red letters. I hope yours does. Uh, this is Jesus Christ talking to Paul. It says, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now, the, seeing that the Lord uh, had a special uh, appointment with Paul implies that Paul might have been afraid, right? There's the implication there, right? If you go back to Joshua chapter 1, how many times does the Lord tell Joshua not to be afraid? Joshua is now taking over, you know, at least 2 million people to rule them, right? They're all, you know, Moses has passed and now Joshua's, you know, at the helm. And what does God say is, do not be afraid, I am with you. It's the same message. There's the implication there that they were afraid. So Jesus visits Paul and tells him not to be afraid. Now, Paul understood that he was going to suffer uh, for uh, the cross of Christ, right? Remember uh, when uh, Ananias got sent to Paul? You know, the Lord told Ananias, 
I, I must show him the things he must suffer for my name. Paul understood that he was going to suffer. So this wasn't like this fear wasn't, wasn't causing paralysis for him. What it was, uh, there was something there and the Lord wanted to, wanted to reassure him that he's there. We don't, we don't know what it was. But what we can see here is the, the words that are being used. So they say, do not be afraid. And he tells them to speak and do not keep silent. So is that an implication that Paul was, was intimidated and wondering if he needed to speak? I mean, Paul was a pretty, pretty bold preacher. But even this man that, that had uh, already suffered beatings and, and being cast out, he had to get you know, snuck out of cities, right, so that he would, he would be safe. You know, maybe he needed the reassurance from the Lord. Speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. Uh, imagine hearing those words. Physically, that, that you would have that vision. Guys, we have the same words. You know, Paul uh, was visited by the Lord, but this stuff's written down so that we can know, we can have the courage to stand in the name of Christ and to preach in the name of Christ. You know, for I am with you. There's nothing more comforting than for us to know that God is with us. You know, whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, to know that the Lord is with us. It says, no one will attack you to hurt you. I have many people in the city. I'm sure that was a blessing for Paul. He wanted to hear he had been attacked. He had people that were not uh, not uh, following the Lord, and he had he had uh, you know already uh, gone through that. You know, just think of Acts chapter 16, right? In, in uh, Philippi, he'd already experienced the beating, right? Uh, beaten with rods and then thrown into prison. He and Silas are there. They're singing while they're in uh, their feet. They're in like the inner part of the prison, and they're. Their feet are in stalks. They're very uncomfortable. They can't move. And what do they do? They pray and sing. And everybody around them is hearing it. And the Lord sets them free. Remember the flipping jail, jailer is about to kill himself. Paul stops him uh, and, and he says, what do I need to be, to be do to be saved? His obedience to the Lord and his joy uh, even in the uh, those circumstances. And, and uh, Paul and Silas' joy and still uh, praising God. Uh, you know, allowed them to be effective ministers of the gospel. Paul understood that he was the prisoner of Christ when he was in prison. That it, he wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was the prisoner of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. I'm the, he's the prisoner of Christ. He wasn't a prisoner to Rome. He knew it was going to happen. But he understood who he was a prisoner of. And he was a willing prisoner of Christ. He loved Christ. Philippians 1, the first half of it, why you look consider it 1A, Paul wrote, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. They knew, Paul knew that he had things uh, that were that were going to happen that wouldn't be ideal. You know, it, it, it certainly wouldn't be your best life now book, uh, you know, with a smiling face that we can see out on, you know, uh, somebody's not going to look at that and go, oh, cool, yeah, I can suffer just like he did. Right? It's probably not. I mean, uh, mature Christians might be blessed by it uh, and, and to learn from it. But, man, I don't know how popular it would be, uh, unfortunately, here in this country, uh, if, if they want to uh, read and, and see what Paul went through and be like, hey, you guys going to jump on board too? Right? Considering what Paul went through, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. 
Paul writing to this church, uh, the church in Corinth, the second letter, he says, uh, from the Jews, five times I, re I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep and journeys often and perils of water in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in uh, weariness and toil, in sleepiness often, sleeplessness often. I guess those two could go together, right? Um, in, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches so paul isn't writing that that would be like the the theme of his book right uh that's probably not what uh you know mega church is built on uh with with that type of message but it was it was a true minister of the gospel and what it, and paul was saying he understood that but when jesus visited him that he needed that visitation he needed it. What I, I don't know all the reason there, but Jesus came and ministered to him, and he uh, experienced the Lord speaking to him to encourage him. Now, uh, you know, Paul Paul was very bold, but uh, he uh, must have needed that if the Lord was was ministering to him in that way. Verse eleven, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul knew he was to stay and teach the word. Uh, as we've already talked about, if, if there was fruit, Paul would stay. If there was rejection of the word, after he was done declaring what he needed to, he would leave. Verse 12. When Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, the, uh, uh, the Jews with one uh, was sorry, was proconsul of, of, of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said uh, to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or with wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and uh, according uh, and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters." And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Jews that uh, didn't believe rose up against Paul. And um, they brought him to Gallio and the proconsul of Achaia there. So their, their local government. And their accusation was that he persuades men to worship God contrary to the Jewish law. Now, if you look back to what Jesus said, <clears throat> what Jesus just said to him, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you, nor will anyone attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. When you when you consider that, Gallio didn't even realize that the Lord was using him. Because Paul didn't even get a, a chance to open his mouth to defend himself. He, I love how it even says that in here, verse 14. When Paul was about to open his mouth, he's like, he's just about to start talking. And Gallio's like, I don't even want to hear it. Get out of here. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great thing to see. You know, when, when Jesus told him, you don't have to worry about those things. I have many people in this city, and we see it happen right after, uh, right after we we read that. 
You know, Galileo tells him he Galileo tells him he doesn't care, drives him out, and it's probably not the response they were hoping for, right? I was, you know, in studying that, I'm like, I wonder what Paul's face looked like. <laughs> you know, like when when they're all just getting like, you know, getting the kick in the butt, like get out of here. I wonder if Paul kind of, you know, you just got beat by dad, hey, you got your spanking. You know, I I doubt it. I doubt he was gloating, but. You know, there's a part of me that I think that, that probably it's a sinful part of me that would want to be gloating and be like, ah, you know, anything like that, right? But, uh, yeah, that's just my weird mind thinking that. So if Gallio had accepted that, it would have set a precedent and greatly limited Paul's ministry. Uh, but God was with him. And it says here that the Greeks took Sosthenes, um, and it appears that uh, he was the one to replace uh, Crispus as the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. And maybe it was frustration because he wasn't successful in getting Gallio uh, to buy off on uh, uh, punishing Paul. And they were just, yeah, get out of here. And uh, it's we um, see that Gallio took no notice and he turned a blind eye uh, to the Greeks beating the Jews. So uh, in one aspect, he, he protected uh, Paul and didn't even know it. And then he's actually... Uh, punishing uh, or allowing the punishment of the ones that were coming to accuse Paul uh, and that he's beat there. And, you know, it did set a bad precedent. It was a persecution against the Jews, but uh, it doesn't say exactly why here. But the implication based on what we're seeing here is that, hey, Gallio said to get out of here. Maybe they didn't move fast enough or whatever. Hey, you are the guy that put this all together. You come over. We don't know. Uh, but ultimately he he allowed it. So they beat him uh, uh, there uh, in front of the judgment seat, and Gallio didn't uh, appear to care or do anything about it. So we're not clear if it's the same one. I'm convinced it is, but uh, there's a Sosthenes uh, addressed in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and Paul describes him as Sosthenes, our brother. Uh, it seems that it would be that this person eventually came to faith. Paul was there for a year and a half. Um, and uh, whether it's the same Sosthenes or not, I don't know. But if it was, what a testament to the, the, the grace and mercy of God, that this man would come to the point of salvation, being one that was persecuting, you know, Paul, the for, former persecutor, right? And, uh, and then is beaten, uh, and maybe he came to faith. It might just be two different Sosthenes, I don't know, but I, I'm of the mindset that that's what I believe. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, that would be just like our God uh, to work in Sosthenes' life just, life just like he did with Paul. Uh, we don't know. I wouldn't, like, take a dogmatic stance and write a book about it or anything. But one thing I can tell you is I'm convinced that's the same uh, Sosthenes based on, uh, you know, what I understand of the Lord and what I read here uh, and uh, some very reasonable commentaries that I've, uh, I've seen. But uh, uh, either way, uh, we do know that there is a Sosthenes uh, in Paul's life that he describes as a uh, as a uh, dear brother to him. Verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had cut his hair off, uh, had his hair uh, cut off in Centuria, and uh, for he had taken a vow. So he stayed and uh, for a little while. He wasn't forced out like in uh, the other cities. And it says here that, that uh, Aquila and Priscilla went with him. 
and we discussed that already, and we're going to see them here uh, as we get a little bit further into uh, into the chapter. So we'll discuss them here in a little bit. But we know that, that they ended up going with him. They worked with him. They knew Paul very well. So when he said, hey, I'm moving on, they're like, they don't have anything, right? They just got displaced from their homes. So, you know, they're they're packing up. They're grabbing their tent-making gear, and they're moving forward. They're going to where God is uh, going to use them next. So when it describes that he had cut his hair off, um, this is most likely a Nazarite vow, which would be a vow to God that uh, Paul might have made uh, expressing gratitude uh, and took this vow, or it could have been, we don't have, we don't know what type of vow he took, but uh, it, it might have been out of gratitude or it, it might have been something else. But uh, the, the, a Nazarite vow in and of itself, by def definition, the Hebrew word is Nazir, simply means to be separated or consecrated. So uh, just consider what that means. He's separating himself to the Lord uh, for a designated amount of time. And uh, it's symbolized being separate from the world and being consecrated to God. Now, uh, we may not shave our head, but we may in a time of, of, of praising God or thanking him say, Lord, I just want to serve you and I, wanna, I just, I just want to bless you and, and offer my life uh, to you in, in a special way for this amount of time. And I'm going to serve you in a special, whatever that might be. Uh, but we might consider that. But but Christians are also called to live a consecrated and a life separated from this world every day. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, uh, this is Paul writing again. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. First Peter 1, Peter wrote in verses 15 and 16 of First Peter 1, he says, But as he called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Being separate. that We're called to be separate from this world. You've heard it being said, be in the world, not of it. Right? So Paul has made a special vow, and uh, and this uh, this Nazarite vow would uh, would be a a special ceremony. If you want to look more into it, number six, uh, you can read all the way through that. We're not going to read all the way through it. I'm going to summarize uh, some of the highlights of, of number six that describe what type of vow what what would come with this vow and uh, the features that would come with it from Numbers chapter six. Uh, the first of all is that it's voluntary. That was a voluntary thing. People weren't compelled to do it. It was voluntary. Uh, uh, the second would be that men and women could uh, take the vow, both of them. It wasn't just separate just to men, that they could. That uh, it, the, it was set for a specific time period and with specific guidelines. Now, these guidelines would include abstaining from wine or fermented, uh, fermented drinks, also no grapes, raisins, uh, any of those things. We'll get into this in depth when we get to number six. Uh, they were not to cut their hair until uh, the vow was over with, and uh, no going near dead bodies, family included. So it was a very serious vow. There was a lot attached to it. So uh, Paul uh, didn't, didn't um, uh, it, well, it says that he shaved his head because he had completed the vow. Uh, so he, uh, for a while, didn't cut his hair or, and everything. But once it's complete, they would offer a sacrifice and the hair would be cut and burned to the Lord in a special ceremony. Number 621 kind of wraps it up. It says, this is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord uh, the offering for his separation. 
And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide, according to the vow which he makes, so he must do according to the law of his separation. So that separation from the world, that special time set aside that somebody was going to uh, just uh, be uh, wholly set apart and consecrated to the Lord in a special way. I know we just spent a long time talking about three words or whatever it is, but uh, you know you might look at that going, wait a minute, he shaved his head because of a vow? I just wanted to, to dive into that a little bit more. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. That's Aquila and Priscilla. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So uh, this is two years later than when, when Paul wanted to go to Asia and the Spirit prevented them to. Two years later, they're now in Ephesus. They're in Asia. And uh, the Spirit had already had forbid them back in Acts chapter 16. And now that he's there for ministering. You know, God's plan and God's timing is much more important than ours. And, and it's perfect. And it wasn't time for them to be there. Uh, so that w- we had the discussion. You know, uh, when we're seeking the Lord, be prepared for these answers. Yes, no, and wait, right? Uh, it was no, but it was no wait is what we see in here. And uh, so they, uh, or yes, wait, however you want to look at that. Not right now. Yes, it will come later. You just need to wait for it. So you can put it in in that order if you want. Um, But either way, uh, God knew when he wanted him there. He knows best. We can trust him with the big stuff, with the small stuff in our lives, and just trust that he's working. Because we might think, you know, with the best of intentions, that's where I need to be. Why would God put this burden on my heart and then tell me not to go? Maybe it might not be the timing, right? It might be something. Uh, Ken Graves, will uh, he has uh, something that he, he shared with a, a brother of mine as he was uh, talking with him, getting some counsel. And, and Ken shared with him, he said, sometimes with a dream, sometimes with a burden or something that the Lord's putting on our heart, there might be that birth of that and then the unexpected death of that, but then the Lord will resurrect it. Okay, just trust that if God puts something on our hearts and we know that he's called us to do it and then it kind of goes away, it might just not be the timing. So just trust God that he knows what he's doing. I guess we can summarize that. So Paul, we see here, is once again reasoning with the Jews. He's faithful to speak with anybody who would listen and he'd reason with them from the scriptures. So he'd take the scriptures and he'd reason with them. Verse 20, when they had asked him to stay long, asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep, come, keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you, God willing. So he sailed from Ephesus. So it might have been, uh, he might have been so steadfast to keep the feast as part of his Nazarite vow. Uh, we don't know, but uh, that was the answer that he was given. And uh, so that's, uh, he just followed the Lord and what he knew he needed to do. Uh, if you look here, he says, I will return to you again, God willing. Uh, that's, that's an important thing to understand, right? The, the Lord's will. You know, my desire is to return to you. If God is willing, then I will. But, you know, there's a, if you remember, this might spark your, your memory for James chapter 4, verse 15, where James uh, is explaining here. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, uh, we shall live and do this or that. Because what he was saying is that they were boasting in their own will. And they're saying, oh, we're going to move here and we're going to do business and we're going to set our lives like this. We should say in our lives, if God is leading me and this is God's will for my life, I'm going to be here and I'm going to do this. And uh, so there's, I love that, that Paul says, God willing. I hope that I want to be here, and I hope that's within God's will for me to do so. 
Verse 22, when he had landed in Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to uh, the region, over the region of Galatia to Phrygia, and uh, in order, strengthening all the disciples. So he got to Caesarea, went up and greeted the church, then went to Antioch and that no doubt blessed uh, was blessed fellowship with the brothers and sisters there, and he spent some time with them and went to Galatia and Phrygia um, and strengthened the disciples there. He had a pattern. Uh, he would go, he'd preach the word, he loved to strengthen the brothers and sisters in the Lord, and then he'd move on. He, he was a man with a mission from God and didn't want to sit there if he was supposed to be moving on. But while he was there, he was ministering to non-Christians and Christians alike, just strengthening brothers and sisters, as, as we see here, strengthening all the disciples. Verse 24 says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross uh, to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who, were, who had believed uh, through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. We have a new man introduced here, Apollos, a Jew born in Alexandria, and we learn of him that he's an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. He spoke and taught accurately. That's that's a if we consider what this this even the the Christian church within the United States how biblically illiterate the church is because they don't have anybody who's just teaching the Bible. We talked about this last week. The pastor in Southern Maine that literally was doing PowerPoint presentations against our brothers and sisters in, in Calvary Chapel, Greater Portland, saying, "Why would we want to know the whole scriptures, guys? These are his words. I've watched the video. It's insane. It's insane. This guy's saying here is like." We already know we're sinners, right? Do we need to be reminded? He's, he's trying to convince his church that they don't need the whole of the scriptures. This is a pastor. It was, it's crazy. This man is a, a faithful minister of the gospel. He's mighty in the scriptures. And he came to Ephesus. He instructed in the way of the Lord. It says that he's fervent in spirit and spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Yes, speak and teach accurately. What's, what's being said, the accuracy of teaching. This is an important uh, position to be in. shouldn't be taken lightly. Be judged more harsh than others. That's what James tells us. Comes with the territory. He understood his role, but he didn't know all of the scriptures. He didn't know what he was doing. It was just coming along with what he had. He only knew the baptism of John, it says. So he's calling people to repentance. But he spoke boldly in the synagogue. And he did uh, what he could uh, with what he had. And he did it very well. When it says that he was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, you know what he did know of God, he was very effective in communicating. He had a, a deep knowledge of the scriptures that he did know. 
And God aligned him to meet Aquila and Priscilla for them to be right there. And they took him aside and, and explained the way of God more accurately. You know, a year and a half with Paul must have been a great way to learn and have more to share with him. So they graciously pull Aquila aside. They pull him aside and say, hey, you're speaking. We just need to get into this a little, a little deeper and explain some more things to you. Those are faithful friends. They're not speaking out in public going, you don't even know. You don't know what we know. Here you are. What are you doing ministering? They were led by the Holy Spirit. And they, when he's not ministering, they pull him aside and they say, hey, we need to explain some more things to you. God is working in and through you. You just need to understand some more things. And they graciously uh, invest in this man's life. We know that Aquila and Priscilla are hospitable to Paul. They hosted the church. Uh, they had the gift of hospitality. They loved God. They loved people. They're investing in this man's ministry and in the ministries that God has them in. And uh, their priorities were straight. They loved Christ. They shared what they knew about him to sharpen this brother. And they're pulling him aside saying, you're doing awesome. Let's give you some more tools for your toolbox, right? My old, my old boss used to say, you know, my invisible backpack. When she was teaching me something, she'd show me something and say, hey, put this in your invisible backpack. And I, I, what I meant, what I, I knew what that meant, it was to take this with you and use it. Use this as a tool because you're going to need it. So they pull this guy aside and they sharpen him. 2 Timothy 4 verse 9, uh, verse 19, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Now they're still at it. Paul's writing to, to Timothy, who's, an, who's a, a young pastor, and Second uh, Timothy, as we discussed, is his. He's signed. Paul's signing off on his life. He knows he's, his life's coming to an end. And Aquila and Priscilla are still there. They're still serving. They're serving the Lord. What a legacy! Here we are, two thousand years being blessed by them. We saw that they were hospitable. They're spreading the gospel. They're serving faithfully. They're investing in other people's lives and other people's ministry. We also studied Paul preaching and investing in others and Apollos sharing the gifts and message he was blessed with to be able to minister to people. Reading through this whole chapter, there's encouragement and encouragement and encouragement. The Lord himself encouraging Paul, right? If you need encouragement in your life, come here. You know, turn to Acts chapter 18, spend some time and say, Lord, will you, will you just encourage me? I need encouragement. And you'll see, you know, maybe maybe we're to be the encourager. Maybe we're the one that needs encouragement, whatever it is. The Lord is faithful to put people like Aquila and Priscilla in our lives. Paul, Apollos, those that are going to have different roles in our lives. Just understand God is orchestrating. And remember Romans 8.28. Now, I just want to clarify. I know we're, oh, we're further over than I thought. We're five minutes over. I'll be like 30 seconds. Romans 8.28, all things work for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Okay, that can be so misunderstood, right? Well, all things work for the good. Yeah, but you're not following God. So God wants to bless you and he wants to do all these good things. So I, I've heard it misquoted recently. And uh, it, we have to understand, we got to walk in the Lord. And it, we can make things much more painful for us and God will eventually get us around to it. But understand that if we are going through trials, going through things, we need those encouragement. Understand, yes, all things work for good. We should be following the Lord. We shouldn't have compromise in our lives and, and just seeking him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your encouragement. We're grateful for your gospel.
Lord, and, and watch how you ministered and how you used people to minister. Thank you that you use us, imperfect people, that you've changed us. We love you, and we are so grateful for you and for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord, that we would apply, we would remember and apply these things to our lives, that we would be lights in this world. That's what we're called to be. In Jesus' name, amen.